Chapter seventy four of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daisy fifty five. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter seventy four. Driven beyond endurance. Also known as Blood upon the altar in other editions everything was settled smoothly and without any fear or fuss that lorna might find end of troubles and myself of eager waiting with the help of parson bowden and the good wishes of two counties i could scarce believe my fortune when i looked upon her beauty gentleness and sweetness mingled with enough of humor and warm woman's feelings never to be dull or tiring never themselves to be weary for she might be called a woman now although a very young one and as full of playful ways or perhaps i may say ten times as full as if she had known no trouble to wit the spirit of bright childhood having been so curbed and straightened ere its time was over now broke forth enriched and varied with the garb of conscious maidenhood and the sense of steadfast love and eager love enfolding her colored with so many tingles all her locks and words and thoughts that to me it was the noblest vision ever to think about her but this was far too bright to last without bitter break and the plunging of happiness in horror and of passionate joy in agony my darling in her softest moments when she was alone with me when the spark of defiant eyes was well between dark lashes and the challenge of gay beauty passed into sweetness invitation at such times of her purest love and warmest faith in me a deep abiding fear would flutter in her bounding heart as of deadly fates approached she would cling to me and nestle to me being scarce of coyness and lay one arm around my neck and ask if i could do without her hence as all emotions haply of those who are more to us than ourselves find within us stronger echo and more perfect answer so i could not be regardless of some hidden evil in my dark misgivings deepen as the time drew nearer i kept a steadfast watch on lorna neglecting a field of beans entirely as well as a litter of young pigs and a cow somewhat given to jaundice and i let jim Slocum go to sleep in the toilet all one afternoon and bill dads draw off a bucket of cider without so much as a by your leave for these men knew that my knighthood and my coat of arms and most of all my love were greatly against good farming the sense of our country being and perhaps it may be sensible that a man who sticks up to be anything must allow himself to be cheated but i never did stick up no would though all the parish bade me and i whistled the same tunes to my horses and held my ploughed tree just the same as if no king nor queen had ever come to spoil my tune or hand for this thing nearly all the men around our parts unbraided me but the women praised me and for the most part these are right when themselves are not concerned 
however humble I might be, no one knowing anything of our part of the country would for a moment doubt that now here was a great to-do and talk of John Reed and his wedding. The fierce fight with the dunes so lately, and my leading of the combat, though I fought not more than need be, and the vanishing of Sir Counselor, and the galloping madness of Carver, and the religious fear of the women that this last was gone to hell, for he himself had declared that his aim, while he cut through the yield Mary, also their remorse, that he should have been made to go thither with all his children left behind. These things, I say, if ever I can again contrive to say anything, had led to the broadest excitement about my wedding of Lorna. We heard that people meant to come for more than thirty miles around, upon excuse of seeing my statue and Lorna's beauty, but in good truth out of sheer curiosity and the love of netting. Our clerk had given notice that not a man should come inside the door of his church without shilling fee, and women, as sure as see twice as much, must every one pay two shillings. I thought this wrong, and as churchwarden begged that the money might be paid into my own hands when taken. But the clerk said that was against all law, and he had orders from the parson to pay it to him without any delay. So as I always obey the parson, when I care not much about a thing, I let them have it their own way, though feeling inclined to believe sometimes that I ought to have some of the money. Dear mother arranged all the ins and outs of the way in which it was to be done, and Annie and Lizzie, and all the Snows, and even Ruth Huckaback, who was there after great profusion, made such a sweeping of dresses that I scarcely knew where to place my feet and longed for a staff to put by their gowns. Then Lorna came out of a pew halfway in a manner which quite astonished me, and took my left hand in her right, and I pray, God, that it were done with. My darling looked so glorious that I was afraid of glancing at her, yet took in all her beauty. She was in a fright, no doubt, but nobody should see it, whereas I said, to myself at least, I will go through it like a grave digger. Lorna's dress was a pure white, clouded with faint lavender, for the sake of the old Earl Bender, and as simple as need be, except for perfect loveliness. I was afraid to look at her, as I said before, except when each of us said, I will, and then each dwelled upon the other. It is impossible for any who have not loved, as I have, to conceive my joy and pride when after ring and all was gone and done and the parson had blessed us lorna turned to look at me with her glances of subtle fun subdued by this great act her eyes which none on earth may ever equal or compare with told me such a depth of comfort yet awaiting further commune that i was almost amazed thoroughly as i knew them 
darling eyes, the sweetest eyes, the loveliest, the most loving eyes. The sound of a shot ran through the church, and those eyes were filled with death. Lorna fell across my knee when I was going to kiss her, as the bridegroom is allowed to, and encouraged, if he needs it, a flood of blood came out upon the yellow wood of the altar steps, and at my feet lay Lorna, trying to tell me some last message out of her faithful eyes. I lifted her up, and petted her, and coaxed her, but it was no good. The only sign of life remaining was a spirit of bright red blood. Some men know what things befall them in the supreme time of their life, far above the time of death, but to me comes back as a hazy dream, without any knowledge of it, what I did, or felt, or thought, with my wife's arms flagging, flagging around my neck as I raised her up and softly put them there. She sighed a long sigh on my breast for her last farewell to life, and then she grew so cold and cold that I asked the time of year. It was Whit Tuesday, and the lilacs all in blossom, and why I thought of the time of year and the young death in my arms, God or his angels may decide, having so strangely given us enough that so i did and looked and our white lilacs were beautiful then i laid my wife in my mother's arms and begging that no one would make a noise went forth for my revenge of course i knew i had done it i knew who did it there was but one man in the world or at any rate and our part of it, who could have done such a thing, such a thing. I used to harsher words about it, while I leaped upon our best horse with bridle but no saddle, and set the heads of Kickums toward the course now pointed out to me. Who showed me the course? I cannot tell. I only know that I took it, and the men fell back before me. Weapon of no sort had I, unarmed, and wondering at my strange attire with a bridal vest wroth by our Annie and red with the blood of the bride, I went forth just to find out this, whether in this world there be or be not God of justice. With my vicious horse at a furious speed, I came upon Black Barrow Down, directed by some shout of men, which seemed to me but a whisper, and there, without a furlough before me, rode a man on a great black horse, and I knew that man was Carver Doom. Your life or mine, I said to myself, and as the will of God may be, but we too live not upon this earth one more hour together. I knew the strength of this great man, and I knew that he was armed with a gun if he had time to load it again, after shooting my Lorna, or at any rate with pistols, and a horseman's sword as well. Nevertheless, I had no more doubt of killing the man before me than a cock has a spitting of a heartless fowl. 
sometimes seeing no ground beneath me, and sometimes heeding every leaf in the crossing of the grass blades, I followed over the long moor, reckless whether seen or not. But only once the other man turned around and looked back again, and then I was beside a rock with a reedy swamp behind me. Although he was so far before me, and riding as hard as he might, I saw that he had something on the horse in front of him, something which needed care, and stopped him from looking backwards. In the whirling of my wits, I fancied first that this was Lorna, until the scene I had been through fell across hot brain and heart, like the drop at the close of a tragedy, rushing there through crag and crag, at utmost speed of a maddened horse, I saw, as of another's fate, calmly, as on canvas laid, the brutal deed, the piteous anguish, and the cold despair. The man turned up the gully leading from the moor to cloven rocks, through which John Fry had tracked Uncle Ben, as of old related, but as Carver entered it, he turned around and beheld me not a hundred yards behind and I saw that he was bearing his child, little Ensie, before him. Ensie also descried me, and stretched his hand and cried to me, for the face of his father frightened him. Carver Doom, with a vile oath, thrust spurs into his flagging horse, and laid one hand on a pistol stock, whence I knew that his slung carbon had received no bullet since the one that had pierced Lorna, and a cry of triumph rose from the black depths of my heart. What cared I for pistols? I had no spurs. Neither was my horse one to need the rowel. I rather held him in that urged him, for he was fresh as ever, and I knew that the black steed in front, if he had breasted the steep ascent, where the track divided, must be, and I'll reach at once. His rider knew this, and, having no room in the rocky channel to turn and fire, drew rein in the crossway sharply, and plunged into the black ravine leading up to Wizard Slough. It is so, I said to myself, with a brain and a head cold as on, through the foul fiend come from the slough to save thee, Thou shalt carve it, carver. I followed my enemy carefully, steadily, even leisurely, for I had him as in a pitfall, whence no escape might be. He thought that I feared to approach him, for he knew not where he was, and his low disdainful laugh came back. Laugh! He who wins, thought I. A gnaw and half-starved oak as stubborn as my own resolve, and smitten by some storm of old hung from the crag above me, rising from my horse's back, although I had no stirrups, I caught a limb and tore it like a mere wheat on from the socket. Men show the rent even now, and wonder, none with more wonder than myself. Carver Doon turned the corner suddenly on the black and bottomless bog, with a start of fear he reined back his horse, and I thought he would have turned upon me, but instead of that, he again rode on, hoping to find a way around the side. Now there is a way between cliff and slot, for those who know the ground thoroughly, or have time enough to search it, 
but for him there was no road, and he lost some time in seeking it. Upon this he made up his mind, and wheeling, fired, and then rode at me. His bullet stuck, struck me somewhere, but I took no heed of that, fearing only his escape. I laid my horse across the way, and with the limb of the oak, struck full on the forehead his charging steed. Ere the slash of the sword came nigh me, man and horse rode over, and way nigh bore my own horse down with the power of their onset. Carver Doom was somewhat stunned, and could not arise for a moment. Meanwhile, I leaped on the ground and awaited, soothing my hair back and bearing my arms, as though in the ring for wrestling. Then the little boy ran to me, clasped my leg, and looked up at me, and the terror in his eyes made me almost fear myself. Enzy, dear, I said quite gently, grieving that he should see his wicked father killed. Run up yonder round the corner and try to find a pretty bunch of bluebells for the lady. The child obeyed me, hanging back and looking back and then laughing, while I prepared for business. There and then I might have killed my enemy with a single blow while he lay unconscious, but it would have been foul play. With a sudden and back scowl, the carver gathered his mighty limbs and arose and looked round for his weapons, but I had put them away well. Then he came to me and gazed, being wont to frighten thus young men. Wouldn't I harm you, lad, he said, with a lofty style of sneering. I have punished you enough for most of your impertinence. For the rest I forgive you, because you have been good and gracious to my little son, Go and be contented. For answer, I smoothed him on the cheek, lightly, not to hurt him, but to make his blood leap up. I would not sully my tongue by speaking to a man like this. There was a level of space of seward between us and the sloth, with the courtesy derived from London, and the processions I had seen. To this place I led him, and that he might breathe himself and have every fiber cool and every muscle ready. My hold upon his coat I loose and left him to begin with me whenever he brought proper. I think that he felt that his time has come. I think he knew from my knitted muscles and the firm arc of my breast and the way in which I stood, but most of all from my stern blue eyes that he had found his master. At any rate, a paleness came, an ashy paleness on his cheeks, and the vast caves of his legs bowed in, as if he were out of training. Seeing this villain, as he was, I offered him first chance. I stretched forth my left hand, as I do to a weaker antagonist, and I let him have the hug of me. But in this I was too generous, having forgotten my pistol wound and the crackling of one of my shoulder low ribs. Carver Doone caught me round the waist with such a grip as never yet had been laid upon me. I heard my rib go. I grasped his arm and tore the muscle out of it. Note. A far more terrible clutch than this is handed down to weaker ages of the great John Ridd. 
as the string comes out of an orange. Then I took him by the throat, which is not allowed in wrestling, but he has snatched at mine, and now was no time of dalliance. In vain he tugged, and strained, and withered, dashed his bleeding fist into my face, and flung himself to me with gnashing jaws. Beneath the iron of my strength, for God that day was with me, I had him helpless in two minutes, and his fiery eyes lowed out. I will not harm thee any more, I cried, so far as I could for painting, the work being very furious. Carver Dune, thou art beaten. Own it, and thank God for it, and go thy way, and repent thyself. It was all too late even if he had yielded to his ravaging frenzy, for his beard was like a mad dog's jowl, even if he would have owned that, for the first time in his life, he had found his master. It was all too late. The black bog had him by the feet. The sucking of the ground drew on him, like the thirsty lips of death. In our fury, we had heed neither wet nor dry, nor thought of earth beneath us. I myself might scarcely leap with the last spring of overlabeled eggs from the engulfing grave of slime. He fell back with his swanny breast, from which my grip had rent all clothing, like a hammock of bark oak, standing out the quagmire, and then he tossed his arms to heaven, and they were black to the elbow, and the glare of his eyes were ghastly. I could not gaze and pant, for my strength was no more than an infant's, from the fury and the horror. Scarcely could I turn away, while, joint by joint, he sank from sight. End of chapter 74 Recording by Daisy 55